On today's show, we power rank the Southwest Division. Can the Grizzlies survive John Morant's 25-game suspension? Are the Pelicans or Mavericks sneaky contenders? Can the Rockets make the leap? And how will the Spurs use Victor Webb and Yama? All of that and much more on today's Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to Locked On NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg here with Adam Matas. However, you might be tuning in on YouTube, Odyssey, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. Uh, for the next few weeks on Fridays, we're going to be power ranking each division in the NBA, predicting where each team will finish the regular season, then get to some categories like best offseason edition, most likely to blow it up. Uh, last week, we broke down the Central Division. Today, we're going to go to the Western Conference and take a look at the Southwest Division. Last season, is this the worst? Won. Hold on, Wes. Is this the worst name division in all of sports? Do, do you the old Southwest mm. Memphis? I we might have. <laughs> it's the most inaccurate. Other than yeah. they should have just called it Texas plus a couple of other teams. Yeah, I just I mean New Orleans, Memphis are not Doesn't traditionally work. thought of as Southwest. No, they could have just said South. Yeah, the South Division. The South Division. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Um, so last season in the poor, poorly named Southwest Division, the Grizzlies won it. That was followed by the Pelicans, Mavericks, Rockets, and then the Spurs. Gotta say, this is one of the tougher divisions to break down because there's just so many variables, uh, new things that are kind of hard to predict. Obviously, a lot of new players too, new coaches, uh, Adam. But let's just start right at the top. I still have the Grizzlies winning this division. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, Dallas is such an enigma to me, as is New Orleans. This is the, and to be honest, Memphis as well with the John Morant situation, some new pieces. So to me, this is a division that could go a variety of different ways and wouldn't yeah. surprise me. I think it's one of those three teams. If you told me Zion and Brandon Ingram were going to be healthy and committed to playing all year, I'd say, you know what? New Orleans is right there with any of them. If you told me that Luka, best shape of his life, as it appears, I don't know, Wes, if you've seen the offseason. Every, every year there's an offseason best Skinny shape of Luka. his life guy. I think I think it's Luca, man. He's looking slim. He's looking thin. You know, if he comes back and gels with Kyrie, Grant Williams, new additions there, some good role players at the back end of that rotation, it could be them. So for me, all three of those teams have a really good shot at uh, claiming number one. I think it's between those three. I'm with you. It would not shock me if Dallas were to win this division. I ultimately settled on Memphis because uh, I went safe. I went safe with this one. This is a 50-win machine. The Memphis Grizzlies. The fact that John Morant got suspended 25 games, less than I think a lot of people thought he could get suspended. I think more, you know, maybe more than some people also expected. But they're okay without John Morant. They're 37 and 24 all time without John Morant. Now the loss of uh, Tyus Jones is tough. They did add Marcus Smart. I'm not sure that that's like a huge improvement. Mm. You know what I mean? Ugh. I thought Tyus Jones. I remember talking with Dylan Brooks last year. Uh, and Desmond Bain both, and uh, during Jaws' first suspension, and uh, and when the Grizzlies kind of rattled off like a three-game win streak during Jaws' suspension, I said, how do you guys do this? Why is it that you guys can be successful without John Morant? And both of them told me, point blank, Tyus. That's why. It's because of him. And they trade him to Washington. They bring in Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart will be able to hold it down a little bit at point guard, but Again, they, I love that we're discounting Marcus Smart at over Tyus Jones here. Like, I just maybe like the chemistry that Tyus Jones Tyus already Jones had. Did. I don't know. They also added Derrick Rose, so they've got some options there at point guard. Um, 
But again, I, I'm playing it safe. I think they're well coached. I think they've got good players. I, let's just go through the depth chart. We'll start with Memphis. And then you mentioned New Orleans and Dallas, and we'll get to them too in a second there, uh, here. But <laughs> John Morant's your starting point guard for the first 25 games. It'll be Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. at power forward, who's basically the, one of the standouts on Team USA right now. And then Steven Adams at center. The, the big kind of wild card here is small forward. They've got John Conchar, D- big body David Roddy, and then Zaire Williams. Kind of three guys who are going to be competing for minutes there at small forward, yeah. obviously with Dylan Brooks having left to Houston. Um, but I think it's a solid I think it's a solid depth chart. I think they've got a bunch of uh, depth everywhere. One thing that's going to hurt is uh, Brandon Clark not being there. He's still out yeah. with that Achilles tear from the playoffs. But I think there's enough here, and they just tend to win games, and there's a good foundation, and I'm playing it safe. And I think Memphis wins another – I would probably put their floor at like 47, 48 wins, and that could be enough to win this division. You are playing it safe. I'm going to be a little more reckless. Marcus Smart, to me, brings something to this team that they needed. I mean, he brings the defense that a Dylan Brooks, that you lose in a Dylan Brooks, but I think he might bring some cohesion to this lineup, to this roster. I think he might help this one, this lineup grow up a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And not having John Morant there might also help for them to just have a new look, a new focus, a new identity, a new soul. And then when John Morant returns to the team, hopefully he brings more of the positives that he has always brought and with a team that maybe has a little bit more of a solid identity. So I kind of like the situation in Memphis, and I could see it breaking really well for them. First of all, you know, your defense is going to get better. If you replace Marcus John Morant with Marcus Smart, your defense should improve. That should be a good defensive line if you got Jaron Jackson in there. And of course, Steven Adams. And it Desmond helps take B- care of the loss of Dylan Brooks too. Marcus Smart basically replaces Dylan Brooks in maybe terms improves. of like your defensive. Maybe even back. improves from maybe Dylan Brooks, improves. to be honest with you. Yeah. And so I like I so I just like that mix of players. John Morant maybe complicates things because then who's coming off the bench, you know, when when he comes could back? You, could you start John Morant, Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain? I mean, Jaron Jackson and Adams. So John Morant, Desmond Bain were a phenomenal backcourt, and they're yeah. kind of this two-headed attack. You know, one from from three and off of screens and running around, and obviously one attacking the basket. But that's not exactly the best defensive lineup. You do have the great defensive backstop with Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. But I do wonder if Marcus Smart is more of a playoff caliber running mate for a John Morant, and Desmond Bain then becomes the six-man scorer off the bench or, or, or what have or you. Maybe you try to play all three. And he, yeah. That's Maybe exactly. go three. I mean, we just talked yeah. about that small forward spot being up in flux. It's probably the 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 way they go. Although I hate three guard lineups, especially when it's undersized. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a recipe for playoff success. And I'll tell you one guy we haven't talked about. This is just this is peak off season content here. Can I guess Josh Christopher? Oh, okay. Interesting flyer. Interesting flyer. The guy's a bucket getter, man. Yeah. Um, he's a bucket taker. He's definitely a shot taker. Um, but he's a guy young. You know, early on with John Moran out, does he get an opportunity? And sometimes with young players who have talent, they find the right situation, opportunity, a little bit of maturity. Um, you know, they could take advantage of it. So I'm kind of intrigued by him. But um, this lineup to me, I, I just like the Marcus Smart edition. I'm high on them even if I don't have them winning the division. I'm still really high on them as a team. So right now, FanDuel's odds have Memphis and Dallas tied for the best odds, both plus 160 to win this division. Um, let's talk Dallas. I have them at number two. I only have them at number two. I think their floor is lower than Memphis's floor, right? And that's why, oh, again, I'm playing it year. safe, Memphis. 
Well, look, this is this is Dallas's records. Uh, this is their record by season uh, since acquiring Luka Doncic. 33 and 49, 43 and 32, 42 and 30, 52 and 30, and then 38 and 44. So they really had that two years ago. They had that 50 win season that everybody thought they were turning the corner and then they just kind of settled back to what they were. And I know there's a lot of things going on last year with the Kyrie deal and all these things, but they're basically kind of a 500 team, maybe slightly above average on average during Lucas career. Uh, and while Memphis is basically just turning out 50 win regular seasons. So again, I, I like Dallas. I, I, I kind of tend to favor the better, the better players. And Lucas still is one of the top five players in the NBA. And I think that, it would be very surprising if they didn't make the playoffs for a second year in a row. It wouldn't shock me if they won this division. I just had Memphis number one and Dallas number two because I had to pick. And so, but these are my top two clear top two teams in this division. I mean, I think we're all just a little shook because Dallas, you know, missing the playoffs last year, it's hard to mm-hmm. say, well, that's not the real them, especially when the Kyrie Irving piece, I think everybody kind of carries the baggage of he really has wrecked a handful of teams in a row and, They've underperformed, whether it's all his fault or partially his fault or just coincidental or whatever. Nonetheless, I think that's what plays into people's expectation. But we have to look at it and say, Luke is a hell of a player. He's a top six player at worst in the NBA right now. Um, And I expect a bounce back season. I think last year was a tumultuous season. It looked like he ran out of mental energy, you know, emotional energy towards the end of the year. But they have pieces. I think that this is a bad defensive lineup or bad defensive team. But I'm not sure how you're going to be able to stop this combination of players. You know, first of all, you, Maxi Kleber always gives you that like five out option. You know, that player that stretches the court and just gives you all that space for a Kyrie and a Luka to operate. And we know how good they are at that. Um, and then you have Derek Jones Jr., a late addition here who, again, I don't think is like a playoff piece. I don't know that he's a guy that you're going to win a bunch of playoff series with. But in a regular season, him as the role man in a five out lineup or, you know, or a four out with him rolling to the rim hyper-athletic, one of the most athletic guys, best lob finishers. I just think they're going to be impossible to guard. And impossible to guard is a great recipe for regular season success. So I'm expecting a bounce-back year. Um, I think, again, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to wait a second to see who I pick to win the division. But I, I think that Dallas has a really good chance, and I think they're going to be great. And then lastly, let me give you a little insight here. They, they had their guards at the end of this rotation, Dante Exum, McKinley Wright. I love McKinley Wright. I think he's a really smart player. He obviously comes from CU up here in my neck of the woods. He's a smart player who's undersized, but I think can actually be an impact regular season. And then I'm even higher on Dante Exum, who just spent the last year playing for Jelko Abradovich, one of the greatest coaches not in the NBA, probably the the greatest coach not in the NBA, playing for Partizan Belgrade. I think that that was a great reset for him. And I'm not saying I know he'll come back and be an impact player in the NBA, but I think he has – the route he has taken to me gives him the best chance to have a bounce back and get back into the NBA. And he's a talented player. So I'm, I'm excited to watch him and see how he's grown as a player. I love the insight on Dante Exum. Um, the Grant Williams thing is the biggest addition. That could be the game changer for them. Although I do have some troubling defensive statistics in regards to Dallas. We're going to get to that next here on Locked On NBA. Today's episode of Locked on NBA is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Look, I love my Bird Dogs. They make me look good with their stretch khaki shorts designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. To put it another way, Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better 
They don't cost as much, and they're way better than regular shorts that are just made of stiff, restricting cotton. You don't you don't want that. So Bird Dogs fixes this issue by inventing a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so you get a waist slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Plus, with their built-in liner, let's just say that they're liberating. Adam, they're just they're liberating. Okay, they're so liberating that built-in so li- liner. <laughs> it's a game changer. Yeah. Uh, Bird Dogs also uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. Trust me, get yourself a pair. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA or enter the promo code locked on NBA for a free white tech hat. That's birddogs.com slash locked on NBA or use that promo code locked on NBA at checkout for a free white tech hat with your order. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Thanks again for making Locked on NBA your first listen every day. Continuing on with our power rankings of the Southwest Division. In a moment here, we'll get to our best offseason additions and the team most likely to blow it up in this division. But I teased uh, some defensive stuff with Dallas. So Grant Williams is like the big addition that that they make here. Um, just to go through the depth chart really quick. Luca and Kyrie is your starting backcourt. They bring back Kyrie Irving on the, on the contract extension or, or the new contract rather. Uh, I think Josh Green ends up getting the start at small forward over Tim Hardaway Jr., um, giving them a little bit more defensive chutzpah in the in that starting five. Sure. And then you've got Grant Williams, the new addition from Boston at power forward, and then Dwight Powell starting at center. Um, I think the Grant Williams thing is huge for them. He's, I mean, and no disrespect to Dwight Powell or Josh Green, he's like the one really good defender basically on the entire team. Yeah. So he's going to have a lot of work cut out for him. Here's Dallas's defensive ratings. And here's the stat that I was teasing before. Again, since Luca, this is where they finished in defensive rating against the rest of the league. 18th in Luca's rookie season, 18th the year after 21st, seventh, and then 25th. So again, that 52 win season was the one outlier year. Uh, and even during that outlier year, everybody was kind of looking around like, how is this happening? We didn't really understand <laughs> why. Like, it wasn't like something that made a whole lot of sense. This makes more sense. They're kind of like the they're a below average defense while Luca is there. And a lot of that is on Luca, man. Like, he needs to show so much more effort on the defensive end. At the end of last year with Luca and Kyrie on the floor together, those were two guards who could care less about defense. Like, just yeah. leaving guys wide open, not closing out. It was some of the most lazy defense I've seen. Hopefully, to your point... Luca comes back re-energized and invigorated and kind of caring. I think Kyrie is what he is defensively. We've seen moments where he tries hard, like in the playoffs or in the finals with Cleveland, but it's been a minute, man, since we've seen Kyrie try hard on defense. It's kind of on Luca as the leader of this team to set that tone there. Luca and Kyrie together still is a positive. 444 minutes together. They had 119 offensive rating, 115 defensive rating. That's plus 4.2 points per 100 possessions. But that should be so much better with that kind of talent between Luca and Kyrie. And it would come on just kind of stepping up defensively. And that's that's where Luca comes in. Like Grant Williams, all that stuff is nice, but Luca's just got to be better defensively. He's just got to try harder. I just don't know if you're getting that. To me, that's the that's the thing about this team that keep makes me yeah. a little gun shy about their chances to win the division. I think it's gonna be a team that on nights blows out the top teams in the NBA by 20, 30 points. But I think there's also going to be nights where they lose to the worst teams in the NBA by 15 points, and you say, how the heck did that happen? They're just an offensive juggernaut and a defensive sieve, and I don't see a way that they're going to they're, they're going to change that. Two other variables. You do get Jason Kidd in year three, 
Jason Kidd's trajectory as a coach um, usually just gets diminishing returns year after year. <laughs> so you, you have to worry about that. And then as you look at their roster, they've got a lot of combinations that you like one directionally. Yeah. Can you yeah. throw out Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr., and then Maxi Kleber and say, okay, how do you guard that? Yes, but who does that unit guard? Nobody. Can you throw out Grant Williams and Josh Green? Um, you know, uh, put some combinations. End, end of list of good defenders, right? Yeah. I got Rashawn Holmes there. I like Rashawn Holmes. You throw that out there and you say, okay, are they going to get some stops? Sure, but how are they going to score? So for me, I think that's going to be the problem is yeah. it's going to be very um, a slippery slope of do you go offense or defense because you always take from one hand to give to the other. Yeah. Uh, quickly, and then we'll move on to New Orleans. So their key additions, Grant Williams, Seth Curry, Dante Exum, all guys you mentioned, Rashawn Holmes. They draft Omax and Derek Lively uh, in the first round. They added Derek Jones Jr. this past week. They lose Christian Wood. So those are sort of the ad, ads and losses for Dallas. But and I love on. all these. I'm telling you, McKinley Wright, Dante Exum, Seth Curry, Rashawn Holmes. I like Holmes, the additions. Like Grant, these are all guys I like. Yeah. It's just they're all guys that have a flaw, and they're all flaws that it just seems like Dallas can't cover for. You know, right. Like I said, it's in one hand, out the it's, other. It's on Jason Kidd to kind of find the best kind of chemistry that just works. Oh, like, it's going to be a lot of, I think, at the beginning of the year, trial and error kind of mixing in and experimenting with lineups. Uh, but let's move on to the New Orleans Pelicans. They finished last year 42 and 40, uh, started the year 26 and 17. Then basically everybody gets hurt. They finished the year 16 and 23. Um, without Zion Williamson all time, they're 82 and 112. So they're just, they're not good without Zion. And they tend to be very good with Zion. The problem hmm. is that Zion very rarely is healthy. Just 29 games last year. Um, no real additions or losses on this team. Like they added Cody Zeller. That's cool, I guess, but like no real offseason movement for them. <laughs> They're banking on Zion and Brandon Ingram, by the way, who's also accustomed to missing a lot of games, just being healthy. That's what they are banking on. Yeah. I, but that's a, <laughs> this is the thing when players of that caliber are inconsistent in being on the court. And this is several years. This isn't last year. This is several years now. Yeah. If you're a GM like David Griffin, you probably look at your roster and say, I'm not sure we need to make a big shakeup. I don't even know what that shakeup would be because I haven't seen this team play yet. And I think that's where New Orleans is at. They're a little bit in limbo in that they have to decide you know, what direction they want to go. But here's why I love this roster and why I'm contemplating picking them to win the division, as crazy as that might sound. You mentioned Zion Williams. He's fantastic. He's an unbelievable player. When he plays, he's an impactful player. Brandon Ingram's been great. They haven't necessarily been at great together. You know, they've been very good together. But I still don't know if those are the two pieces you would want to pair. You could move off of one of them if if you wanted to make a big a big splash. But here's what I love. Herbert Jones. You know my guy. Herb Jones. Our first, our first Herbert Jones of the offseason, Wes? I think it might mention. be. That might be our first Herb Jones mention. Herb yeah. Jones, baby. Drink. Dyson Daniels. Trey Murphy yes. the third. These are phenomenal wings. I love this. They might have my favorite collection of wing players. They've also got Najee Marshall. It's not bad. They've got, they might have my favorite collection of wing players in all of the NBA, and they have a plethora of them. So this is a team to me that I understand why David Griffin would not make big moves this offseason. I understand why he would say, I think we might actually be really good. We just don't know if we'll ever get our guys on the court. They might not get on the court this year. They might not stay on the court. But I think that if they are healthy and if they do play, they're going to surprise a lot of people. I think if they're healthy, they can win this division. I don't 
I don't think there's any doubt about that based on their track record. It would be kind it's of crazy to say that they couldn't. Though, right? It's not even just health. It's it also kind of just well, I'm saying it's getting on the court. I mean, there have been reports about oh, Ingram and Zion. Like, are yeah. they healthy enough to play? Or are they not? Right. Is it? Are they too quick to sit out when some things happen? I mean, I think there was a report right. last year with Brandon Ingram about you know being called out. I think you know there have been players kind of calling out saying, "Hey, man, like I, we don't have to wait till we're 100 healthy. We're going to miss the playoffs. We're going to do this or that." So I think this is a year where somebody in that organization needs to say, "Guys, do we want it or not?" And if we don't. Yeah. And let's move and get some guys in here that help. That would be my concern. We talked about Memphis. Marcus Smart maybe brings a maturity to the team. This team needs a maturity. I wouldn't have mind if they would have signed a back of uh, rotation veteran or two just to be like, hey, somebody come in here and show. You know, they could have used a Jeff Green to say, yes. hey, come in here and show these guys, you know, they need to be serious. Do they still have their mid-level exception? Can they just throw it at Udonis Haslam, bring him out of retirement? Just like <laughs> the guy that could just be like, all right, guys, let's be serious right now. Because right. you're right. Everybody kind of needs that guy. You mentioned the fact that David Griffin did not make the big move. There were rumors that they could trade Zion for the number three pick, maybe Brandon Ingram for the number three pick. I don't know how real that kind of stuff really was. I don't know if Portland ever was mm. actually even serious about that. But mm. that would have been – if you added Scoot Henderson and maybe subtract the Zion or Brandon Ingram, this roster does make a lot of sense. I mean, I don't know that Scoot and C.J. McCollum is like what you want long-term, but I don't think that – like that wouldn't be your long-term solution. Would you maybe, say – I don't know. Are you speculating that they have blow-up potential? Mm, that's a good mm. tease. That's a good tease. Um, all right, let's go to Houston and then San Antonio real quick. <laughs> Houston's interesting. 22, 22 and 60 last year. And th their story right now are their additions. Number one, they hire head coach Ime Odoka. They sign Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. They draft Amen Thompson and uh, Cam Whitmore, who was awesome in summer league. And then they bring in Jeff Green. So they add... Uh, a veteran a veteran coach, uh, an experienced coach who holds players accountable and Udoka. They add veterans, Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, and Jeff Green. Two really interesting rookies in Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. They're starting five, Fred Van Vliet, Jalen Green, Dylan Brooks, Jabari Smith, Alperin Sangun. Off the bench, they've got Kevin Porter, Amen Thompson, Cam Whitmore, Terry Eason, Jock Landale, who they also added. They still have Aaron Holiday. They've got Jayshon Tate coming off um, the bench. Got players, man. They got players. I like this roster. In terms of young rosters, it's one of my favorites, but it all really hinges on Jalen Green and his development. That's where it really comes. Can I give you a few more stats on Jalen Green before I throw it? <laughs> Please. Email Delco's biggest thing is not fixing the defense. It's not doing all that stuff. His biggest job is unlocking Jalen Green and getting Jalen Green to play the way he ought to be playing. Way too many just pull-up jumpers from Jalen Green from his first two seasons in the NBA. What he should be doing is driving to the basket more. And now that he's playing with a real point guard in Fred Van Vliet, I mean, no disrespect to Kevin Porter, but I kind of do. Now he's playing with a real point guard in Fred Van Vliet. Maybe he can cool it a little bit, play off of Fred Van Vliet, get more catch-and-shoot attempts. So here are the stats. Catch-and-shoot Jalen Green last year, 3.2 field goal attempts from three-point range on catch and shoot. He made that at a 35% clip. Not great, but not awful. And definitely above his career averages from three. Pull up, four three-point attempts per game on pull-ups, 32%. So way worse and way below his even his averages. If he get if he trades some of those pull-up shots for more catch and shoot shots, that three-point percentage is going to climb a little bit. Not a, a huge amount, but it'll climb a little bit. It'll get to at least league average, where right now it's below average. But the main thing to me here are the drives. 
Jalen Green is an athletic freak. He can dunk over anybody. He should be like out. He should be out there playing like young Russell Westbrook or John Morant, but he's not. He averaged yeah. twelve point nine <laughs> drives per game last year. That's was that's as many as T.J. McConnell. Adam, he drives as much as T.J. McConnell. <clears throat> that's rough. So he it was eight point eight as a rookie, twelve point nine last year. So climbing a little bit, but I'm t- that should be at like 18, 19, 20 drives per game. Get rid of some of those three point attempts, which is obviously not in your wheelhouse, and just drive to the basket. And if you could do that, playing in space with Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and some of these other guys, if you could do that, Jabari Smith. Yeah, Dylan I, Brooks giving you all that space. I mean, at least he hangs out on the perimeter. He's not doing much else. So, I don't know. That, to me, is Ime's biggest job is just kind of making Jalen Green play more within his skill set. End of spiel. I I think Ime's biggest job is that he has a roster that, for the first time in three years, is going two different directions. And, and I think necessarily so. The best way for a young player to come in is when they have a veteran player that they can surpass if they do the right things. That didn't happen in Houston. Those players that you just mentioned, the Jalen Greens, Jabari Smith, Alperin Shangun, Tari Eason, all very talented, high upside players, they didn't have the veterans to compete with, the other players. So it was, go explore your game. You want to take five pull-ups a game? Do that. You don't really like driving? It's okay. We want you, know, we want you to kind of explore your game here a little bit. This Hold is on, a year fun. now with a tougher coach who could say, Jalen Green, you're not doing what I want. Fred Van Vliet is closing tonight. Amon Thompson mm. is closing tonight. Uh, you know, Jamari Smith, you're not doing what you need to do. Tari Eden is play, or closing tonight. Jeff Green is closing. Jay Sean Tate is closing tonight. So now you have a roster that after two years, you established a culture, which was we want our young players to grow at any cost. Well, the cost was them not necessarily having discipline or growing in the direction you need. Now you bring in those veterans that represent that sort of discipline or that those that sort of consequence. And I hope it works out. Ime Adoku, I know it is a tough coach who got a lot out of Boston, but I know also rub, ruffled some feathers in Boston. Not the off-court stuff. I'm just talking about with his team, with his roster. You know, yep. he was a hard guy to play for. You're going to get these guys who have had not been disciplined all of a sudden get supreme discipline and and uh, and competition, and I'm just curious to see how it goes because I oh, like their young that. players. It's a really I like Tari Smith. I yeah. like Shangun. I like Jalen Green. Uh, I really like Tari Eason. Those are good players, and I'm just curious to see how they handle it. Yeah, and I like I love the idea of adding veterans to a young group to kind of just bracket them, keep them accountable, and all these things. I'm not the biggest Fred Van Vliet guy, but I like the idea of adding an experienced point guard who just knows what to do. So from that. Right perspective for Houston I get it if anybody other than Toronto is going to pay him I get it so um we've got that all right I want to touch on San Antonio we're going to do that in the next segment but we're working on our teases here on Locked on NBA so how's this Adam could Dallas trade Kyrie Irving we'll talk about that next Thanks again for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. All right, we're going to do the team most likely to blow it up. We're going to get to the most interesting player in the Southwest Division, but let's wrap up our power rankings with the San Antonio Spurs. Finished last year 22-60. and They draft Victor Webinyama with the number one pick in the draft lottery that they, of course, won. Um, I'm looking at their depth chart, Adam. They've got six guys who could probably start for them. So they've got some decisions to make, and it really comes down to whether or not they want to play Wemby at forward or at center. Now, in Summer League, they listed Wemby as a forward. He played both spots. Um, he wants to play forward. He does not view himself as a center. 
which is the case for all centers that kind of look like him, big men that look like him. But I don't know if they, to me, it comes down to Trey Jones, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Victor Webinyama, and then that fifth starter is either going to be Zach Collins or Jeremy Sochan. And I, I kind of like the idea of starting Collins so that you're starting him with a traditional five and you can let Wemby with that body type not have to guard other bigs like a Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid or those guys. Um, but what if Sohan can what if Sohan can do that? What if he could just what if you just like let him guard the five? He's undersized, but if you just like make him do it anyway so that Wemby doesn't, it kind of equals the same thing. You're kind of getting the, the same thing done. So I think it's gonna be five of those six guys, and it's gonna come down to Collins or Sohan. And then other than that, they add campaign. Reggie Bullock, Chetty Osman. They're just getting guys. They have Malachi Branham coming off the bench. who kind of showed some stuff at the end of last season. Um, I don't know how much you want to go in on San Antonio. It's really the Victor Webb and Yama show and kind of figuring out who else is going to be a core part of that. There's no spacing in that lineup really to speak of, but whatever. It's Webb and Yama's rookie year. We'll see what happens. Yeah, but can you put together a really nice defensive lineup? I mean, they haven't been good defensively mm. uh, in recent in recent years. I love the idea of Sohan playing big with Wemby. I mean, again, it's unconventional. It's a little bit different. But the rim protection Wemby should offer as an off-ball rim protector, yeah. you know, a roamer, should be elite. So now you're just talking about can a guy play that Rodman-esque? Yes, it's not just the hair. Sohan has a little bit of Rodman <laughs> to him. Can he play that where he's just wrestling guys down, down the block and then knowing that you have this – alien behind you patrolling the paint but more than anything this is a team that okay they have the discipline from their own coach you know Popovich obviously is not going to let um undisciplined play fly but now you got a lot of young guys it's like hey why not experiment and play some of those lineups not see and why not see if Sohan is a Wemby player if Devin Vassell is a Wemby player Keldon Johnson you mentioned Malachi Branham are these guys, Blake Wesley, are these guys that fit into the long-term view? I think you want to experiment with that, and I think you want to get a lot of different looks. So I, th- I think they're interesting, even if I don't think they're going to be very good at all. I would play those four guys, those first four guys you mentioned. So Wemby and Sohan are already really close. That was evident at the NBA draft. Right. So I would play those two guys with Vassell as much as possible. I would play those three guys really together as much as possible because to me – Answering the question, are those three guys basketball fits? Is there magic that, that can be made there? Do we see some hints of that? Is there kindling to that fire? Is what I'm trying to figure out um, in Wemby's rookie year. All right. And, and by the way, I liked Blake Wesley at the draft. I don't. I couldn't tell you, to be honest, like how well he played over this last bit. I wasn't locked into him at the end of the year, locked into the Spurs. But, you know, I, I'm, I am curious to see if he's a guy that makes that second-year leap after being in the NBA. There's some guys there. Um Let's go to offseason edition before we talk about the most interesting player in the division and team most likely to blow it up. Who do you is the best offseason edition uh, in the division? I went with Marcus Smart here. Okay. And it feels like a little bit of a hot take. If we're talking long-term, okay, there's an easy answer here. It's definitely Wimbanyama. Is that going to be right out of the package? He's the most important new edition. I don't know. I, don't even but I just look at Memphis me. and I yeah. go, we're going to have another question later on about who has the most blow-up potential. If it weren't for Marcus Smart, Memphis would be number one on my list. I just think he might be the guy that holds that team together and brings them a new element, a new layer that they've desperately needed. Um, I had Marcus Smart listed. Again, I just – I'm thinking about – so I didn't include any of the rookies, including Wemby, because I was just sort of thinking like offseason addition, like free yeah. agents, trades, kind of things like that. So you and I are here aligned. But um, I don't know. I just – I like I like Marcus Smart from Memphis. I really do like the addition. I keep I feel like I keep poo-pooing it during this podcast where you're much higher on it than I am. 
I just don't know how much of an improvement over Tyus Jones it really marks. Like, that's I love your Tyus Jones love. Where does it come from, Wes? He, He's a good player. I love Tyus Jones too, but I, I mean, like everybody, I, I don't know. Like, who knows? It's like what, Monty how Morris, true. you know, he's, I like him. He's fine. I, I just think he's like a really solid backup point guard. And I'll go back to my conversations I had with the Grizzlies last year. Like, they loved that guy. They kept talking about yeah. how solid he is. And I guess best case scenario for Marcus Smart is he's solid. You know, they already had a solid guy. So, I again, I like the Marcus Smart addition. I just don't know how much of an improvement over Jones it's going to be. Where my biggest offseason addition was Grant Williams. Because I think that is a huge improvement. They traded Dorian Finney-Smith at the deadline. Losing all of their good defenders. And now they get a good defender in Grant Williams. And what's weird is in a vacuum, I think I like Marcus Smart more as a player than Grant Williams. I'm actually not a big Grant Williams guy. But for this roster, it's a huge addition because it gives them a versatile defender who kind of lets them, allows them to play defense, which wasn't yeah. going to be a thing before the Grant Williams addition. Um, and then you kind of consider him over even Dorian Finney-Smith, who, again, they had to trade to get Kyrie. But he's a better shooter than Finney-Smith. Finney Smith was a 35% career three-point shooter. Grant Williams is a career 38% shooter. A little bit streaky, but so was Finney Smith. They're comparable defensively. I think Grant actually guards centers probably better than DFS. So I think that can unlock some interesting lineups for Dallas. And again, I just underscore this the entire time. He is their only good defender. And I know Nick Angstat and Dallas and, and Lockdown Mavericks and all these people come. Josh Green is a good defender. Josh Green is an above average defender who has the potential to be a very good defender. Right now, Grant Williams is their only, like, this guy, playoff-level defender. We know it right out of the box. So I got Grant Williams, but Marcus Smart was my my second one. So I think it's those two guys. Um, all right, most interesting player. Oh, most interesting player. To me, this one is Zion. <laughs> who, is. who swings a team's odds more than a Zion Williamson this year? I mean, to me... Are we getting the best Zion for like 60 games? If so, all right, New Orleans, welcome to the playoffs. We're gonna. This is a dangerous team. Nobody's going to want to play. Tough matchup, all these different things. If we're going to get the Zion that we got last year, this is the number one blow-it-up team by a mile probably in the entire NBA. Um, Zion's a great choice. I almost went with Zion. I ended up going with Jose Alvarado. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like, wow. I thought you, I thought maybe you would say Tyus Jones, but you know, <laughs> well, he's in he's in a different division. Oh, now. that's right. Go uh, I didn't overthink it. I went with Victor Webinyama. All the things you said about Zion are absolutely true, and I actually think for the season and what it means for the rest of the NBA, Zion is by far the most interesting player in this division. But I'm going to be tuning into Wemby every night for at least the first month of Spurs basketball. Like, I got to watch this guy at the NBA level. I can't. I can't wait to see the sadness in your eyes. Hold on, I can't wait for you to see the sadness in your eyes when Popovich benches him the first five games for missing a screen or something. Oh, that'll be interesting. Everybody's going to be tuned in. I can't wait to watch him, and Pop's going to be like, on the bench, young fella. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's go on. Team most likely to blow it up this season. I really wonder if we have the same team here. Well, first of all, no shortage of of teams to pick from. San Antonio the, the opposite only team. of last week, right? We had like no like none of these teams are going to blow right. it up in the Central Division. Now we're like all these teams can blow it up. Well, so San Antonio can't blow it up. Right. They're not yeah. going to trade Wimbenyama, and anything else doesn't really feel like blowing it up. So let's just eliminate right. them. If they traded Houston, like Keldon Johnson at the deadline, it's like that doesn't count. Right, that doesn't count. Houston is interesting because if you told me, okay, they're going to move for, on from Shangun. 
or Shangun and Jabari Smith or Jalen Green and Jabari Smith. Like that would be considered blowing it up since they are young pieces, but they would do that because they have other young pieces. They basically have enough for two young cores mm-hmm. and they decide which ones they wanted between Amon Thompson and Shangun and Porter if, and all these different things. If Houston were to let's say they're it's like February and they're like 15 games under 500 or 20 games under 500 or something. And they're like, you know what? Sounds this Van Vliet stuff, this Dylan Brooks stuff, it just didn't work. And now there's contenders offering us first-round picks for these guys. And they traded one or both of them. Would that be considered blowing it up? Because you wouldn't consider the, the, the long-term core. But it's sort of blowing up this like experiment of this year, we're going to go yeah. get the experienced guys. So it would be kind of pseudo-blowing it up, but not like totally blowing it up either. Blowing it up to me is changing direction from where you were going. And their direction remains... Amon Thompson, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Alperin Shangun, and to a lesser extent, Kevin Porter, Tari Eason. So to me, it's between trading one or two of those guys would be considered blowing it up. And I think it's on the table. They have so many young guys that I would not be surprised if they moved on from Jalen Green and Alperin Shangun because they liked what they got in the other guys. That being said, they're not my pick. Let's go to Memphis. John Morant trade would be considered blowing it up. Tumultuous. Let's say those 25 games, Memphis is the number one seed. Marcus Smart's working out great. You get back John Morant and it's, you know, tumultuous the rest of the way. Do you look at it and say, hey, sometimes it's just a necessary split from a young star and we're going to go a different direction? I can trade to Washington for Tyus Jones. (laughs) That's on the table, man. It's on the table. Um, I, but that I don't see it happening, so I'm not picking them, but that would be considered blowing it up and it's at least on the table. It's within the realm of possibility. If you go over to Dallas, I you said earlier, could they trade Kyrie? I don't think they can trade Kyrie. I'm not sure that is a thing that is possible. But really? Luca, Luca demanding a trade would be blowing it up. Him saying, I'm sick of this. And if their season goes south like it did last year, I think he would. I think he would say, man, there's no exit to this. There's no future. There's no building blocks. It's just going to be this and the next year's version of this and then the following year. So could he demand a trade? I could see it. That, But... The clear-cut pick for me is New Orleans. This is a team that has been in limbo for so many years. They should be good. They have all these players. But would they move Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson if they just determined that either neither of these guys are ever going to play enough minutes that we can count on them or that it just didn't fit? They're both better individually than they are collectively. And wouldn't you get a great return for either guy? Wouldn't Zion fetch a, a King's Ransom? So to me... They're easily my number one. Even though all these teams have some blow-up potential besides San Antonio, New Orleans to me is feast or famine this year. It's a make-or-break year for the New Orleans Pelicans. You do a whole offseason of basically nothing. Again, no disrespect to Cody Zeller. You do a whole offseason <laughs> of doing nothing. But you're basically tell- you're, you're projecting it. Hey, we need to figure out what this is right here. It's like in the NFL with a quarterback. It's like we're not going to make a change of quarterback. We're basically giving this guy one more year. And then we'll make the change next year if it doesn't work out, right? That's what they're doing right now with Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. Can these guys stay healthy? Can we actually do something? Can we see what this team looks like healthy in the playoffs? And if it's just another year of not getting to see that, or if we do see it and it's not what we want, then maybe we're going to split these guys up and move on from both of them. And maybe we do the ultimate thing of trading Zion to the New York Knicks for a bunch of first-round picks and R.J. Barrett or whatever it is. Who knows? Um, So... To me, I had the New Orleans Pelicans as number one. I do want to go back to the Kyrie thing, though. You said there's no way that they could trade him. The Lakers are still sitting there, and they could, and they basically signed D'Angelo Russell to a contract in order to trade D'Angelo Russell. Like that's why they gave him that money. 
So Dino <laughs> and Rui Hachimura right there. You move those, and they still have a first-round pick because they didn't trade both of them. For oh, this is going to happen, isn't it? Dilo, Rui, and a first for Kyrie Irving. Kyrie yeah. with LeBron and the Lakers. I mean, I think if Kyrie Poor got moved, that would be the move. That's the trade right there. Poor Luca, man. I mean, like your your best case scenario is D'Angelo Russell as your running mate. Like, rough, and then and then Luca demands a trade. Yeah, then Luca demands a trade, and it's all blown up. I mean, look, I the Southwest Division might blow up. Let's be honest. I if you told me Memphis, Dallas, and New Orleans all and Houston all made major shakeups to their core, I mean, it's it's on the table, um, and it's fitting. I mean, where is Phoenix, by the way? Wouldn't you consider like regionally? Phoenix should be in this division. I should so, say Phoenix is the Southwest. I picture Southwest. I picture cactuses. I correct. picture a desert. Yeah. Maybe a for thumbnail for this video. I Googled like Southwest backgrounds and it was just a bunch of pictures of Phoenix. I'm like, they're not in this division. Yeah. Like, wow. How weird. Not Memphis. There wasn't any photos of Memphis. Huh? Graceland no. <laughs> wasn't in the Southwest. <laughs> Beale Street. It was like, is this what you meant? That's so weird. Oh, let's talk about blowing up the whole division. So when we get Las Vegas and Seattle, oh, what man. do you do? Now you we're ship talking. New Orleans. And Memphis out. You send them to the Eastern Conference. You add Seattle and Vegas to the Western Conference. And then you would add, obviously, I think Vegas to the Southwest. Do you move Phoenix then into the so Southwest? So I, I have big thoughts about this West because Colorado is the West. Like right. regionally, Colorado, you know, New Mexico, even Dallas, Las Vegas, these Utah, spiritually, these all connect to me. So Vegas should be in Denver's division, should be in Utah's division. So whatever happens there, that would that would make sense for me. And if you Arizona, Phoenix comes in, maybe we send Portland to the Pacific. I mean, is Phoenix along the Pacific coast? Absolutely no. Absolutely not. And yet Portland is. So it makes right. sense that maybe we we trade Portland, we pick up Phoenix. I guess it makes sense. I would love to do a show with you where we just realign everything in the NBA. <laughs> That'd be fun. And just rename all the divisions, too. I'll even um, take Sacramento out of the Pacific. We'll take them into the West. They're not real California. <laughs> I'm a fan of just breaking up the West and East. I don't think we need a Western Conference and an Eastern Conference. We could do, like, the NFL and Major League Baseball, where you just mix and match everybody. This is this actually might be the right take. This might be it. That's another podcast. I think we got to do that. Like That's peak offseason stuff, though. Fixing basketball. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks for making Lockdown NBA your first listen every day. Every day or is- Make sure that you're subscribed on YouTube, Odyssey, and wherever you get your podcasts. The show is going to be back on Monday with the biggest stories from the NBA weekend. I'm sure they're going to touch on some of the Hall of Fame enshrinement stuff. Hall of Fame enshrinement. We've also got Team USA versus Slovenia. Yeah. So a lot of good stuff happening here. Until next Friday, you can find me over at Locked on Heat. Adam's over at Locked on Nuggets. Have a great weekend. Shout out to Wayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parker. Everybody else who's getting in there. It's a good class. Good class.